in Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, I do want to encourage you as we have our communion Sunday here, of course, this morning on the evenings of these days, we regularly have what we call our family gathering. It's not for members only, but for anyone who considers West Park their church home and family. And we have special opportunity just to share together in some ways uh, about what the Lord is doing and encourage ourselves. And we have that opportunity at 5 o'clock this evening. Uh, the theme of our time is going to be living epistles. The Bible says we're living epistles. And we're going to have a couple of very special presentations of that. One, uh, in a dramatic fashion, as uh, some of our Cedarbrook players, that's an arts team from Cedarbrook Outreach, have uh, written the testimonies of people they interviewed and have put those testimonies uh, into a dramatic presentation. It is powerful. Living epistles. So that'll be the first part of the gathering. And then the second part, we're so thankful for a living epistle of our church, Eddie Hackleton, his wife, Sorella. Eddie has been uh, battling ALS for over three and a half years now. Uh, what an incredible story he is of God's triumphant grace and patience and endurance. And uh, Sorella is as well. And uh, he's going to come and he's going to be sharing with us. Uh, what God has been doing in his life, what he's been learning, and uh, the severe mercy that God has given to him and what it's uh, doing through him and witness. And so you will be powerfully, powerfully impacted as we have our gathering tonight at 5 and afterward a great time of just some food and fellowship together. We want all of you to come. Please plan on inviting some friends as well. Uh, but also ask our ushers to come back. And we have a, a devotional that we'd like to share with everybody here this morning. It's uh, leading us up to Thanksgiving. Can you believe we're just a few weeks away from Thanksgiving? So everybody can take one of these. And here's what this is. It's called Jesus First. Uh, and it is a, a daily guide on some passages that uh, we are using here in our teaching and Sunday morning gathering. I'm so grateful for... Our, one of our pastors, Pastor Joe Kappel, who has uh, taken this concept that he and I talked about. He has put the hours into making this available. It's uh, a simple format of following some scripture, uh, doing some evaluation of the text, and then your practical application to your life. It's built around this uh, understanding of thanksgiving and all that we have uh, being the Lord's. And I think this could really be used to keep the Lord in the midst of your worship as we approach thanksgiving. It's also an important part as we approach three weeks from a day. You see we have in front of us, many of you recognize it, the chest of Jehovah Jireh. Uh, we use this generally once a year at a harvest offering that we call uh, the Jehovah Jireh offering, which means the Lord will provide. And we take that offering the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It's applied to special uh, ministry focus that we might, might have. And, of course, most of you know that this year uh, it is being applied toward uh, our campus development vision. It's our desire over the next uh, few years uh, to build a new children's wing a nursery wing and children's building in our existing gymnasium area and in front of it and then Lord willing uh, right after that to construct a new worship facility so that uh, this church can gather together as one body one place one time and uh, these are wonderful wonderful opportunities for us to 
be faithful in our stewardship and to be generous. And so that offering, which will begin to be received on that Sunday before Thanksgiving, uh, will go toward that. And we have committed, many of you know, uh, to raising $500,000 before we begin the first phase of those two phases. And so uh, we are praying that very, very soon uh, we will be able to raise that amount of money and be underway on this uh, next uh, development in our campus ministry. So we're going to be asking you to be praying about your part uh, by God's grace as your generous sacrificial giving toward uh, that offering and the commitment that will be a part of that. And we'll be talking quite a bit about that over the next few weeks. But today I want you to look at Mark chapter 10 with me. And uh, we're going to have as our focus these four Sundays leading up until Thanksgiving Sunday. The reminder that Jesus needs to be first. Jesus is first. His lordship is what should always guide us. In our stewardship. And stewardship means that we recognize that we're not owners, we are managers. The earth is the Lord's, all it contains, and all the people on the earth. That pretty much takes in everything, right? Anything other than that, you can have, okay? But the earth, all it contains, and all the people belong to the Lord. And so we are stewards, we're managers of what is the Lord's. And that means if we are managers, then our Lord, who is the owner, should be first, Jesus first. And that will be our, our focus here for these next few Sundays. So we begin today this incredible story here in Mark chapter uh, 10. Now, as I was reading this passage this week and thinking over it, praying over it to prepare for our time together, uh, my mind went back to uh, several years ago. When I was first having symptoms uh, of this illness that was finally diagnosed, myasthenia gravis, and if you've been here for a while, you know that I've, I've had problems with that over the years, but God's been very, very, uh, very, very faithful and very gracious uh, to me. But it was a very difficult diagnosis. They could not figure out what it was because I had a very, and do have, a very rare form of a very rare illness. And so my neurologist, quite frankly, was just frustrated with it. And he said, I'm putting you in the hospital and I'm going to figure this out. And uh, he did. And he ordered every test, every specialist you could imagine while I was in the hospital downtown. And it was amazing to me. I was amazed by something that if you go into a hospital with good insurance, you can see in 30 minutes of specialists you couldn't see in three months. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's just been a, a unique revelation. But I had every kind of uh, exam, uh, I think included a psychiatric exam. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how I did on that. I didn't ask, quite frankly. But one test I had was an echocardiogram. An echocardiogram, okay? Now, uh, that was something I never had before. They brought the machine to the room, actually. And uh, the technician said, do you want to watch? And I very boldly replied, yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and so uh, you, if you've had this, you know, they, it's a, kind of an ultrasound they do of your chest. And 
Uh, they're, they're taking pictures of your heart. And I want to tell you, it's one thing to feel your heart beat. It's another thing to kind of see it beating from the inside out. So I was watching that and, uh, uh, yeah, and I was glad finally the cardiologist did come in and said, you got a heart like a horse, mister. And I said, okay, great, that's great. And then I had lung tests and they said, wow, do you have lungs? And I said, well, I've got a lot of people that can tell you I have a great set of lungs. And, uh, but it was more than an examination that I went through. It was really kind of an observation. It went down into my heart and it was trying to reveal any revelation of what might be there. And so I was thinking of that in terms of this passage today because that is exactly what the great physician is doing. The great physician here, Jesus, <clears throat> is carrying out a divine echocardiogram. That's what he's doing here. For this man who came to volunteer with questions in his mind and in his mouth, and Jesus conducts as a great physician, a spiritual echocardiogram on this man. And the story of it has been recorded in Scripture because the Holy Spirit wants all of us to make sure that we pass this test. So what I want us to know today, yes, we're in church, but we're also in the great physician's examination room. It's where we all are today. And he's going to test our hearts. He's going to test our love. And quite frankly, friends, I'll just be honest with you. This might just hurt a little. <laughs> but it'll do a, a lot of good. It'll help us a lot. Help us a lot. Now notice what this divine echocardiogram begins with. It begins with this personal interview. This man comes to Jesus for an personal interview and what an interview it is. It's more like an entrance exam because that's what he comes to talk to Jesus about. In verse 17, he, he comes and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There, there was never a more willing applicant than this man. What, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what an applicant he is, because if you read the other two gospel accounts, this is recorded in three gospels, you find out these things about this man. He was a young man. He was a rich man. He was a ruler. And he came running. Now think about that. He's young. Rich, he's a ruler, he runs and flings himself at the feet of Jesus and asks this amazing question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a question. But now a key here as we get started is to recognize what he did not ask. He did not ask the question like this, what must I do to be saved? He, he didn't say, Lord, please, can you be merciful to me, such a sinner? He, he didn't ask a question like that. Rather, good teacher, sort of 
trying to be respectful and maybe a little manipulative. Good teacher, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? Note that. Good teacher, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the man's questions. He answers the man's questions in two ways. Did you notice this? See, first of all, he gives the man some biblical information. He's going to answer the question biblically, but he's then also going to give to this man a personal revelation. He's going to show him himself. Now, Jesus first hears the man's question, and he answers with biblical information. And isn't it strange how Jesus answered this man? Jesus informs the man about the one who is the standards. You see, the man is asking what he must do. What do I have to do to get in? How do I get enough points in my scoreboard to get in? And Jesus reminds him who the standard is. It's not a thing, it's someone. Verse 18, very strange what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now what's going on here? Is Jesus having an identity crisis or something? Doesn't he know who he is? I thought Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. He knows he's God. He doesn't have any doubts about that. But So why does Jesus say, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Because he's answering the man where the man starts. How do I be good enough? How can I be good enough to inherit the entrance into the kingdom? And he says, well, that's not for your measurement. That's not human measurement. you got to understand God's a measurement. God is the one. And he informs the man who the standard is. The standard's God. You see, entering the kingdom of God is not the standard of a man-made religion. Do we all understand that? It's God's kingdom. God decides who gets in and who doesn't. God decides who comes in. And you've got to meet the measurement that God requires, not the measurement that your church or denomination requires. Next, he informs this man not just about who the standard is, the one who is the standard, God, but what is the standard. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus immediately goes on to say, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, which is an aspect of covet, and honor your father and your mother. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus mentioned six commandments. Why six? Well, we're going to see in just a moment the first four. But here he asks six. Why is that? Because, you see, folks, many people think the Ten Commandments are divided into five and five. Five on one tablet, five on the other. That's not the case. The Ten Commandments are divided into four and six. Four have to do with God. Six have to do with you and your fellow man, starting with your mother and your father. 
The Ten Commandments are about your relationship with God, the first four, and then the second six, the next six, about your relationship with your fellow man. Jesus gives him the second tablet, the six commandments having to do with his relationship with man. And notice this young man's sincere response. It's a, it's a sincere response. Verse 20, he says, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And he's very sincere in saying this. He has devoutly tried to keep these commandments that Jesus mentions all his life. And, and basically what he's saying is, Teacher, no problem. I'm good there. I've done this. Now, it's important to realize, make sure you understand here, inherent in this man's sincerity, he is sincere, is this truth. He's sincere, but he is sincerely wrong. And he's sincerely deceived. This man is sincere about his religion. But even though he is sincere about his religion, he is sincerely wrong and he is sincerely deceived. You see, friends, it doesn't matter if you just believe. It matters what you believe. You can be sincere in your beliefs and be sincerely wrong. Because we don't create truth. There is one truth. That's God's truth, right? So he's sincere, but he's sincerely wrong. But now notice how Jesus answers this man. Jesus does not answer this man the way I probably would have answered him. I'd have probably thought something... I won't say what I probably was thinking, but Jesus didn't like me, and aren't you thankful? How did Jesus respond? Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, and the word look here doesn't mean glance. It means Jesus gazed at him. Jesus gazed into his eyes, and he loved him. He loved him. He loved this man. He can see the sincerity of this man. But he knows he's sincerely wrong. He loves him. Let me tell you how much Jesus loves him. Jesus loves him enough to tell him the truth. You see, that's what a good doctor will do. A good doctor will tell you not necessarily what you want to hear, but he'll tell you what you need to hear. And Jesus is the great physician. So he tells this man what he needs to hear. And he does it with such grace and with such truth. Now Jesus answers the man. He gives him a personal revelation. This is where the, the doctor now says, Okay, you, you want to measure your religion? Here's what we're going to do. Let me show you your heart. Let me show you, not the outward. Let's go inward. And Jesus said to him, verse 20 thing, 21, you lack one thing. Only one thing. 
Jesus is saying, you can get in. But I need to tell you, you lack one thing. And Jesus is going to show him what is the one thing. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. One thing? That's one thing? Yes, one thing. One thing. Is Jesus saying, am I understanding you right, Sam? Is, are you saying that Jesus says, unless you give away everything to the poor and follow him, you can't enter the kingdom? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what Jesus is doing. What's Jesus doing? He's a heart specialist. And so he's going to the heart of the matter. And don't you know that the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart? This man lacks one thing. What does he lack? Love. Love. And Jesus is going to show him, you really have one problem. Your one problem with the law is you don't love. You don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. If you did, you would keep the top four commandments. And you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to show you that you will not obey either one because I am the Lord and I'm telling you to give everything to the poor. Honor me, give everything to the poor, and come follow me. Because love will do that. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and if you're going to keep the law, it's not just marking off do's and don'ts. It's right here in your heart and out of your heart. And that's where Jesus went. This man was disobedient, we're going to see, to the supreme law. He doesn't really love God above all. He doesn't love people above all. Listen carefully. He's a very nice, sincere, respectable, successful idolater. And Jesus loves him. But he's an idolater because he loves himself more than he loves God and he loves others and his life is all about himself. He's an idolater and the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And if you put yourself before me, you are an idolater and you will break all the other laws. That's what he is showing this man. He's showing him his heart. He loves himself more than he loves the Lord and loves others. Now, Jesus called to this man, listen, do you get it? It's not about money. That's not the issue. The issue is mastery. Who's your master? 
The man is saying, I'm good. I've done it. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm good. And Jesus is going to show him, you're not. You're not. The money's not the problem. It's not having a lot of money. That's the problem. That's not the issue. It's who is your master? And Jesus wants this young man to be truly free. What he is saying here, he said it in love, right? He loved this man. He loves this man enough to want him to be free. He can see this man is wearing these nice clothes. This man has rings all over his finger. This man has a a bulging bank account, but he's a slave. He's a slave to himself. And Jesus wants him to be free. But the only way he can be free is he frees him from his self-idolatry. What a moment. Can you picture the scene? The man's in the dirt. Looking up at Jesus. His beautiful, beautiful clothes. Shimmering silk in the sun. And he's just... Stunned. He can't believe what Jesus has just said to him. It all comes upon him. This is the defining moment of my life. This this man, I want to follow him. That means he's going to be master. If he's master, he has to tell me exactly what to do. He's just told me exactly what to do. The next few moments are going to determine my life. The next few moments are going to determine my eternity. And he goes away. Sorrowful. Wearing the finest clothes. Sorrowful. Money hanging out of this belt and bulging his bank account. Sorrowful. Anything he could want, it's his, but he's sorrowful. He goes away sorrowful. He still has his gold. He still has his God himself, but he doesn't have the grace of salvation. Because he won't let go of the mastery of his life. It's the incredible human tragedy. Maybe in the whole Bible, this is the most tragic moment when a man is so close, a religious, prosperous young man, so close and invited to come, but he turns away. Now, Jesus doesn't want to lose this moment. Frankly, he's amazed by what's happened. But he wants his disciples to understand. And so Jesus conducts a startling review very quickly. He's going to review with his disciples what just happened. He's had an interview. Now he's going to have a review. Here's how Jesus evaluates what just happened. He startles his disciples. Verse 23 And Jesus looked around at his disciples who were watching this. And he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be 
for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He just startles his disciples. They they can't believe what he's saying. Verse 24, his disciples were amazed at his words. Why? Because they had been taught since they were little ones what in that day was Jewish prosperity theology. If you're blessed by God, that must mean God likes you. That must mean you're right with God. And so the more you have shows the more of God's favor. Therefore, the people who have the most favor, they must be the closest to God. And Jesus just turned that up on his head. If anyone seemed to have the favor of God, it's this young man. And Jesus says, do you see this? It is so hard for a rich person to enter heaven. What? Oh, he's not done yet. He continues, verse 24, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, Do you want to know how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? He says, let me tell you. What's the biggest animal you've ever seen? A camel. The biggest animal they'd ever seen on land was a camel. What's the smallest opening you've ever seen? The eye of a needle. And Jesus said, I tell you, it is more difficult. It is easier, rather, to get that camel through the eye of that needle, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. His disciples go, verse 26, who then can be saved? If they're not getting in, if the rich aren't getting in, who can be saved? And they were right. What's the answer? Nobody can get in on his own or her own. No one can. They are amazed, but thank God Jesus doesn't stop. He says, yes, this is amazing to you, but let me tell you about amazing grace, right? He says, with man, this is what? impossible but with God it is possible for with God all things are possible God can not only get a camel through the eye of a needle God can get self-sufficient idolatrous people who live for themselves think for themselves are guided by their own desires he can take them and put them into the kingdom of God and that's the greatest miracle of all that's what God can do his grace and his grace alone can do it friends don't you understand if Jesus were describing how impossible it is for someone to merit the kingdom of God he could not have done it more graphically than saying it would be easier than to get a camel through the eye of a needle it can't be done but that doesn't mean sinners can't get in because it can be done why because Jesus is going to do it 
He is going to go to that cross. He's going to stretch himself out as a sacrifice on that cross. He's going to be lifted up between heaven and earth and accept the punishment of sinners and pay a full price for their deliverance. And he is going to say it is finished and he's going to rip a hole that even the worst sinner can walk into the presence of God. What a God we serve. Amen? That's what he's going to do. What Jesus did is so incredible that he ripped a hole. The whole world can come into God's family if they'll come by Jesus. But you don't come to Jesus by saying, Hey, Jesus, take the wheel a while. That's not even a good country song, let alone theology. Yeah. No, Jesus, don't take the will. Quite frankly, Jesus, this is a hearse, and I'm the dead man in the coffin. Could you do something with this old, sorry, dead carcass of mine and make something out of me? It's not Jesus, take the wheel. It's Jesus. Could you save a hell-bound sinner like me? So far from you, I could never, never accomplish what God demands. I am an idolater. I do want my life to be about me. But Jesus, in your mercy, couldn't you change my heart? Oh, yeah. He can do that. He will do that. You see, friends, you know why you can't save yourself? Listen carefully. Because you can't save yourself from yourself. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't save you from your sins. He saves you from yourself. Because guess what I am and you are apart from the grace of God? We're a sin factory. God's got to shut the factory down. And that's how he saves us. Not just sin is not just something external from us, something we do. It's us. We are the problem. And Jesus has got to save us from ourselves. That's what his salvation is. And he can do it. I'm telling you here, my friend, today, if you say, I have tried and tried and tried and tried, and I have just made a mess, a mess, a mess, I can't do it because I'm the problem. Oh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And you just say, Jesus, I am the problem. Change me by your grace. Oh, friend, that's what it's called born again. Born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. You're born again. Change happens. Jesus did this personal interview, and then he conducted this review And then our time is gone, but he gave a preview. (laughs) Old Peter, (laughs) he just couldn't be quiet ever, ever. He he figured out this is a good thing. Now, I want to make sure I'm in on it. Peter said, verse 28, See, we've left everything to follow you. Hint, hint, hint. Oh, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel. 
who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, not just heaven to come, but now in this time you receive a hundred back. Houses and brothers and sisters and, and mothers and childrens and lands. And yes, with persecutions. What's he talking about? You get a brand new kingdom, a brand new family, a brand new life. That's what you'll receive a hundred times over now and eternal life to come. Oh, That's not a bad deal, right? To exchange your idolatry for this. But you see, you have to understand. The idolatry is here. And Lord, I need you to come into my heart. I need you to change my heart. You be master. Friend, I hope you understand this is the gospel. It can't be master me and master Jesus. I can't be mastered by any other thing above Jesus and be a sincere follower of Christ. Because to follow Christ costs you yourself. What did Jesus say? If you want to come after me, take up your what? Your cross. And I will give you life. A new life. 